Am I good to go over here, Taylor? Okay. Victoria, come on. You're not getting out of this. All right, man, before, before we get started and before we get into the Word, um, guys, I want to tell you a, a couple things. I want to first of all say thank you uh, for all of you who participated in the prayer meeting on Tuesday. Um, I, I, I didn't get to be there, but I just am so thankful for, for leaders who are willing to step up and, and share the Word and just be ready to go, Right? Alvaro didn't find out, he, and Miles didn't find out they were saying anything. Uriah found out at the last minute. See, I, let me explain to you. Your pastor is forgetful. <laughs> and so uh, it was like early Tuesday morning. I was like, oh, yeah, Kai is supposed to be running the, the uh, prayer meeting uh, tonight. And I, I have enrollment conferences and all this stuff. And so I text, texted Uriah in kind of a panic. And, man, I heard it went great. So thank you. Um, praise God for that. The other thing is FOI, guys. Um, so Friends of International Ministry is a crucial ministry in Kaya. And uh, everybody that participated in that last night, I got here late. But what I saw was a lot of people loving on a lot of other people and um, showing them that you're, you're, you're their friend. And in doing that, uh, you are giving yourself the liberty and the opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's just what you're doing. And when we've been meeting, I've been having people over to my house, small groups. And if your small group hasn't been to my house yet, uh, it's, it's on the schedule. It's happening. It's going to happen. But I'm having small groups over to my house. And one of the things that we're talking about is finding ways uh, to go fishing and finding ways and opportunities to, to minister to people and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ when a lot of times um, we feel like we've exhausted the pond that we've been fishing in. Have you ever had that feeling? Like I've witnessed everybody in my office twice now. And uh, I've, I've shared the gospel with everybody in class and, and uh, I haven't had a, res- a response. And so and no one's asking for you to abandon that work. But what we're asking is to do the work of an evangelist means to go in and find uh, a, a fishing hole where the fish are biting. And FOI is that pond. And some of you guys are looking around like, well, I don't really know where to invest uh, to share the gospel. FOI is that place. Yeah, so don't like twiddle your fingers around and wonder like, FOI is a place where you can invest and people are ready to hear the gospel. And so everybody that was involved with the dance party last night, thank you. I applaud you. You did a great job. I love you, uh, and let's keep it up, okay? Let's keep it up. Let's not abandon that work. Leaders meeting, anybody who is compelled to be a leader, you better stay, okay? If you're, you have a desire to be a leader, be a part of this, uh, because you need to hear this stuff too. Cool? All right, you ready to go? You guys like this new tradition that I'm, I've started here? I do too. Okay, you ready? Thank you. 
And not only so, but we glory in tribulation also, knowing that peace, or knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. And scarcely, or for scarcely, for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure, for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us in that, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, much more than being now, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son. Much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Amen. Pray for us. Lord, I just thank you so much um, for how you sent Jesus Christ to save us from our sin, Lord. Uh, we couldn't do it on our own, Father. Um, so I just thank you for that, Lord, that you give us a choice to choose you, Lord. Uh, and I just ask, Father God, that you would bless our time here, Lord. Uh, I pray for your presence to be in this place, Lord. Um, and for you to speak through Brandon, Lord. That it just wouldn't be Brandon speaking, Lord, but in your spirit speaking through him, Father. And I just pray for all of our hearts here, Lord, that you will soften our hearts and open them, Lord, that your words will enter us, Lord, and change our lives, Lord, uh, change our desires, Lord. And, Father God, that we would have the desire um, to just act on what you're showing us, Lord, act on what, you, what we're receiving from you, Father. And um, to choose uh, to just submit our will to mm-hmm. yours, Lord. Um, I thank you, Lord, and I pray this on our All right. So we are in Romans. You, you ready? Yeah. Okay. It's been a couple weeks. It's good to have Dell in here last week, huh? Yeah. Now that, that boy can speak. I mean, he'll go and go, won't he? <laughs> We we only went over like thirty minutes. It was no big deal, but we didn't. But we didn't even notice, did we? It felt good. It was good to have him in here. I love that guy. Um, so Romans, just real quick, since it's been a couple weeks, the book of Romans, this 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 letter that was written to the Roman church, is uh is about the doctrine, primarily the doctrine of salvation, and all of the the nuances that come with what it means to be saved. And who he's writing this letter to is, is uh, it's two groups of people that are, that are worshiping together in Rome. It's Gentiles who become saved, okay? People from Rome that were previously uh, uh, idolaters and pagans who came to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. And then you have the Jewish uh, people who are living in Rome um, who have also come to know Jesus Christ. Now these two were like oil and water. And what Christ is doing is he's teaching them that through salvation, they are actually brothers and sisters in Christ. 
and how they should be treating one another uh, is, is important to the work of the ministry. Now, notice, though, that the, the core of this is the doctrine of salvation. And I want you to understand that, that as we're studying and as we study these doctrinal things, the things that tend to be a little bit deeper, the things that we go deeper on, um, that our theology and the way we understand Scripture absolutely affects the way that we minister and treat one another. Okay? And so what you believe about what the Bible says absolutely impacts the way that you see the world around you and the way that you apply your Christianity to your life. And so what Paul is doing is he's spelling out this doctrine of salvation for many, many reasons, but one of those reasons is to unify the body in Rome to come together and minister in the right way. Isn't that awesome? And and that's true of of many of us in this room. We come from many different backgrounds. This is kind of what I was thinking about and talking about when, when I did the welcome this morning, is all of the backgrounds that we have and all the differences that we have in our experiences and, and all of our stories, and yet we're all sitting here together under one banner, and that's the salvation and the justification through Jesus Christ's blood. Isn't that great? There's nothing like that. And, and, and we want to draw other people into that. Yeah. So Romans is about salvation and what comes with our salvation. And the last time we got together, two weeks ago, we started studying Romans chapter 5, uh, which begins to tell us what justification means. And we've gotten past this part where it's, where it's Paul proving to the Jews that they can't earn their salvation, that there's not things that they can do to earn favor with God, but it was through the blood of Jesus Christ alone that they're justified. Okay, And we got through that, and if that's something that you need to recap, then, then that audio is available to you online, and you can go back and listen to that. But, but Paul has been proving to the church in Rome that there's not things that they can do. There's no religious activities that they can do to merit God's love. That God displayed his love through Jesus Christ, and when we accept Jesus Christ, we accept that love and we live in it, and we dwell in it. And so now we're talking about what justification means. And we all know to define justification, is, is, uh, we all say this, this is, a, this is a common saying, it's just as if I'd never sinned. It's just as if God looks at me, and when he sees me, he sees me in a way that is if I had never sinned in the first place. He sees me as clean. He sees me as blood washed. He sees me in right standing. But then we went on to address these three things that we have in Jesus Christ and the just and justification. Okay, and I see you guys are scrambling uh, to write all this stuff down. Okay, you can get this down if you like. The most important thing is the verse references. Okay, now let's walk through this real quick. In verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And what this means is that we don't, we're not just justified in, in, in the sight of God. That when he sees us, we don't just look clean before him. But, but all of the baggage of our, of, our, um, of our past life has been fixed, has been mended. And when we were in, in, a, in a wrong relationship with God, when we were enemies with God, He's made peace with us through Jesus Christ. Okay? And because of that, we're accepted in Him. Okay? And then that leads us to the next point. The justification also means that we have access to God. And that, that because we're justified and because of how He sees us, and because we have peace with Him, now we can enter into His court and we can have relationship and intimacy with God Himself. 
we have access to God because of justification. Verse 2 says, By whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Third, because of this, because of justification, because of our right standing with God, we don't have to fear tribulation. And in fact, we can see tribulation and trial and difficulty and suffering in the right light. We can see it as, a, as an opportunity for us to mature and to grow and to become closer to God and for our faith to increase. And so our justification gives us the ability to see tribulation and trial in a new light. Now let me point something out, and I'm going to reiterate this in, in, the, uh, in the leaders' meeting today. But I have noticed in Kaya an increased amount of trial and tribulation over the last month. Now some of you may recognize that in your own lives, but I'm hearing a lot of people telling me that they're facing difficulties that they were a few months ago. It seems like, like all of these trials seem to be coming together here at the end of February, beginning of March. And I don't think that's, that there's, that's a coincidence, right? I, I think that's directly related to the fact that we have decided and determined that we are going to spread the gospel throughout Kansas City. We're planning more Bible studies. Amen. Okay, We are giving the gospel to more people. We are putting ourselves in positions of boldness with the gospel that we weren't previously doing. And I'm hearing people coming to me, telling me that they're, they're having opportunities to share Jesus Christ more now than they ever have. Because they've decided to do it. And with that decision, it, there's a direct correlation to trial. It is not going to go unopposed. So the question is, how do we see that tribulation? How do we understand it? Because some of us, when we see it, we're going to retreat. And we're going to forget that we're in the presence of God. And we're going to forget that we have access to Him. And we're going to forget that we're accepted in Him. And we're going to retreat back and and flee away from tribulation. Now listen to me. That ought not be true of you. Okay? The mature believer, when trial comes their way and things get difficult, they lean in. And having the right perspective of tribulation is crucial for that. Now today we're going to talk about the value uh, and, and the importance of having security in our justification. That's what today's message is about. We're going to talk about se- the security that comes from knowing Christ. Now, we can't underestimate the value of security. Right, Eric? Amen. Okay, Eric's, Eric's primary job is to sell security. Right? Amen. See, ADT is a business that's about um, security. And it's a business that's continuing to grow. I did a little research. The company is estimated at about seven billion, it's worth about seven billion dollars, the company is. And it's on the increase. And every year, ADT uh, is, is growing more and more valuable. It employs 17,000 people. Okay? And all of these people, their primary job is to sell a security system that primarily does the following. It brings security, the feeling of security, to people who otherwise wouldn't feel secure. 
People have a desire to feel secure. They desire it. And guess what? Many Christians don't have that security because they don't understand their Bible. And they don't understand what they have in the justification of Jesus Christ. And today when we look at Romans, uh, we're going to see it as a jumping off point to understand what it means for our justification in Jesus Christ alone to shore up our security, to give us a true sense of security in Him. Because not every Christian has that because their doctrine is wrong. They don't see the Bible the right way. They don't see the relationship with Jesus Christ the right way. And so they have doctrines and, and views of Scripture that are incorrect and invalid. And they believe that they can lose their salvation. Or they believe that they're going to endure the wrath of the tribulation that's coming. And we're going to break that down today a little bit. And so listen to me. Bear with me. Today is going to be a little bit doctrinally heavy. But when we're done, I'm hoping that you would recognize in your heart and in your mind that God has you. And that you don't just have acceptance in Him and that you don't just have access to Him and you don't just have to not fear anymore, but you also can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that nothing that comes your way can steal your salvation from you. That it belongs to you and He has it sealed until the day of redemption. And that's what we're going to be talking about. So be ready. We're going to be in verse 6. I'm going to pray again real quick. And we're going to get right into it. Make sure you're taking good notes. There's going to be a lot of verses that come up on the board today. So be ready uh, to, to take down the most important stuff that you see, okay? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Romans. Without Romans, we'd be lost. Uh, God, it's such an important book to us. And it form, informs us on so many important truths. God, I pray that we would hold on to them. Uh, that we would uh, value them. And God, that we would value what we have in you, and we wouldn't forget, and that we would remember. God, help us. Help us as we do have so many growing leaders and so many people who are just now committing themselves to the ministry, and they're taking their, their, their mission more seriously. God, I pray that you would continue to, to build in them a maturity and a security in you, and that their faith and, and would, would increase, and that their, um, their strength would be increased in knowing the fact that, God, you're... You're our Father, and you stand just right next to us, side by side. You're with us everywhere we go. And uh, there's nothing better than knowing that. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would teach us today uh, the mighty truths and sometimes the complex truths of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Verse 6. For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now this is where the rubber meets the road today. Verse 9. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. So first of all, in verse 9, what we see here is that because we're justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath to come. And now this word save means to rescue from danger. Okay, have we not been rescued from danger? What was the danger? Death and more specifically hell. 
Now, we, we live in a, in a, in a time where, where Christians more than ever are denying the, the doctrine of hell. Okay, it's, it's all around us that Christians, because of convenience and because they, they disdain the, the, the difficulty of the idea of hell, they're refusing it outright, and they're subscribing to really, if we're going to be honest, a very, uh, I mean, this doctrine has been a disgusting, uh, a disgusting and manipulative doctrine since the very first century. I mean, we can trace this back, we can trace this back to Alexandria, okay, where like heresy and corruption was, was highly cultivated. And, and, it, and, and it's always been a peripheral doctrine, but now it's becoming mainstream because hell is a very inconvenient thought for the Christian. And so because we don't believe the Bible and we don't, we don't believe in hell, everything becomes askew. But the truth is we've been rescued from something. And we've been saved from something very specific. Like what? Okay, listen to me. I, I don't really understand. If when we die, all of us get to go to heaven, no matter what, then what was the significance of Jesus Christ's death and the call repeatedly over and over again to repentance in the New Testament? What good is the call to repentance? I mean, the whole logic of Scripture falls apart if hell isn't true. We have been rescued from something very specifically. But this word uh, saved means more than just rescued. It also means to be kept safe and sound. And that's the important point this morning, is that we're kept safe and sound through the justification of Jesus Christ. If we are, listen to me very carefully, if we are justified, present tense, isn't that the word justified? That's a present tense word. We are justified currently. We are in a state of being justified. Is that justification that we have now not sufficient to keep us safe moving forward in real time for the remainder of our life. Is that justification not valuable tomorrow? Is that justification, is it valid four years from now? Is that, is that justification valid when we've sinned? Or when our faith is wavered? Is that justification still valid? And it's an important question. Do we remain saved? Now let's look carefully here at the, at the next part. It says, we shall be saved from wrath through him. We shall be saved. Shall is a future tense word, isn't it? So while justified is present tense, shall is a future tense word, meaning that because we're justified by his blood, we shall have salvation moving forward. It's a future tense. It refers to what is coming. Now what does it say that's coming? What does it say? Wrath is coming. So before we can get too much into this, let's talk about wrath. What is wrath in the Bible? The Bible talks about wrath a lot. In fact, it refers to this day of wrath that's coming over and over again. We can see it in the Old Testament, and we can see it in the New Testament, this day of wrath that's coming. Okay, you ready to put your doctrinal boots on? Tie them up tight. Okay, you got your ankle support? Okay. Good, because I don't want you. Yeah. Okay. Zephaniah, chapter 1. Zephaniah is a book that's dedicated to the day of the Lord. Or the day of wrath. 
Okay, this day of wrath. If you've ever read it, you recognize immediately of its prophetic significance, okay, that it's telling about something that's to come, something in the future. And it tells a specific story about how Yahweh will judge the nation of Israel and then deliver a remnant into the eternal rest and and a a celebration with him, okay? That's the story. And it begins with prophesying in the very first chapter, prophesying about an evil day that's coming. Verse 14, the great day of the Lord is near. It is near and it hasteth greatly. Even the voice of the day of the Lord, the mighty man shall cry there bitterly. So far, so far we understand this is not going to be good. This is going a bad, to a bad place. Okay, this is not good. That day is a day of wrath. A day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of the trumpet and alarm against the fenced cities and against the high towers. And I will bring distress upon men that they shall walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord and their blood shall be poured out as dust and their flesh as the dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath, but the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy. For he shall make even a speedy riddance of all them that dwell in the land. This day of wrath that's talked about over and over again in Scripture is the day that God, that Jesus Christ is going to come back and he is going to judge the whole world in a physical conflict. He's taken over. He's coming and he's coming to judge and he's judging swiftly and he's judging with a sword. This is not a good day. This is not a good day. And whenever we see this word wrath, it is in reference to this day that's coming. You understand? The the day of wrath is this day where Jesus Christ is called the second advent. Okay, now I want you to be real careful here. We're not going to get, I don't want you to overdo it here this morning. We'll save it for D2 and LFBI. Okay, get through D1, take D2, but listen to me. I want this to be very clear to you. The first coming of Jesus Christ is the first advent. He came as a baby, didn't he? He didn't come as a mighty soldier. Okay? He came weak to deliver the weak. Do you understand? And people didn't receive him. And the Jews, they looked at passages and they looked at at prophetic words like Zephaniah. And what they were expecting was Yahweh to come with the sword. That's what they were looking for. They didn't recognize that God's plan was a little bit more complex than that. And that he desired the nations to come to him, okay? That's the first advent. Jesus Christ came to die for our sins. And that's, we get to live in that. We get to enjoy that. We get to live in this age of grace, this dispensation of grace. And, and we love to tell the story of the first advent, don't we? Then there's coming a day that we'll get to later in the message, but there's a day that's coming where Jesus Christ will meet us in the clouds. Those who live and remain and are ready, when his rapture comes, we will be delivered from earth. And that is not the second advent. That is the rapture of the church. We'll look at that doctrine here in a moment. But what's coming beyond that is what's called the second advent. And that's when Christ will literally come back to earth, ready and prepared to reign over the earth for a thousand years. And when he does that, when he comes, he's coming with a sword and he's coming to destroy. You cannot escape that in scripture. There is coming a day where Jesus Christ, where Yahweh is coming back, And he will slaughter any enemy with swiftness. 
Now here's the question on the table. As believers, are we in danger of facing that wrath? Okay? Many, many people would say that, that Christians will endure that tribulation. And I, we're going to talk about why they're wrong. Okay? We're going to talk about why they're wrong. Let's turn to, let's, let's shore up this doctrine of the wrath real quick. Revelation chapter 6, verses 12 through 17. And I beheld... When he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. Doesn't sound good, does it? Ain't going to be a good day. And the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind, and the heaven departed as a scroll, when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens, and in the rocks of the mountains. And he said, he said to the mountains, is the rich men speaking, the people of power, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the, Lord, of the Lamb. For the great day of wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? And that is our question. Who shall be able to stand? That question that those people that are, that are still alive when Jesus Christ comes during the tribulation, they're asking a question that, that we should ask as well. Who shall stand? And, and, and uh, it's, it's interesting to me. I just want to point this out. As I was studying this two weeks ago, I guess it would have been, yeah, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, um, Greg Axe was like literally teaching a lot of the same content in LFBI. It was cool. I, I was listening to the lecture and all of these verses were in his lectures. But this is a very important thing to understand, okay? Listen, this day is coming, and it's coming for very specific people, okay? It's coming for the wicked. And if you're justified, you're not wicked. If you're justified in Christ, you aren't counted of the wicked. Remember, he sees you as different. He sees you as accepted, in the moment that Christ comes in physical conflict with all those who refuse to acknowledge Jesus Christ as Savior, there's going to be great trouble in the world. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. And I saw heaven open, and I behold a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. This is Jesus Christ. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him on white horses. Now we've got to know, well, who is that army? That's us. Those are the saints. They followed him on horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Who's white and clean? It's us. What are you guys laughing at? Everybody's laughing at me all of a sudden. Are you just really stoked about Revelation chapter 19? You're getting like everybody's like, all of a sudden, did something happen on the PowerPoint that I missed? Because, like, I, I figured when I was reading this that you guys would be like, Dad, what are you laughing at? You laughing at me? She's laughing at me. I did something wrong. Oh, oh, okay. She wants to come preach this. <laughs> This is like Deb's favorite verse in the Bible, I think. Is it? Yeah. I think I knew that about you. 
So look, there's, the, there, there's these soldiers coming with him, and they stand behind him, and out of his mouth goeth out a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And that speaks to the millennium. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun. And he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men. Remember those names from the previous passage? And the flesh of horses and of them that sat on, on them, and the flesh of all men doth free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse. And against his army, and the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with, with their flesh." This day of judgment is reserved for the proud and the high-minded and those who refuse Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and they will receive a great delusion and they will face in battle Jesus Christ. And that's who these people are. Now listen, we don't endure this. We don't endure this. If we look back at Revelation 6 uh, verse 17, it says, For the great day of His wrath has come. And who shall be able to stand? No one. No one. Unless you're the one that's riding on the horse right behind him. See, this is an issue of God's wrath. This issue of God's wrath is crucial for our understanding because the question that Paul seeks to address for the church in Rome is this Does our justification have an expiration date? Are we susceptible to the same wrath that God promises for the lost? And Paul's answer in Romans is quite simply no, because we are saved from wrath, from wrath through Jesus. So here's our key point. You ready? Key point number one. Our salvation is not contingent on our personal preservation. It is the Holy Spirit's job to preserve our salvation. He does that. He does that. So in Romans chapter 5... We hear Paul say that the Christians who are justified now will be saved from the wrath, wrath that is to come. That's a promise. Which means between now and then, you cannot lose your salvation. You cannot lose your salvation. Between now and that point, at no place can you lose your salvation because the promise is this, that when the wrath comes, Christians don't have to endure it. And if you could lose your salvation and lose your Christianity, then you would endure the wrath. And the promise would be null and void. And this ver verse would be a waste. Do you understand? Now let me explain something to you. You guys get this? You got that? No? Am I moving too quick? There's a doctrine. There's a doctrine. We're going to use some big words here. Okay? Called Arminianism. Okay? A doctrine called Arminianism. Now a lot of times... In, in theology, what we say is that there's either Calvinism, which is a theology that says that you're predestined to either be saved or not saved before the foundation of time. 
and that God makes people, and he makes some people to go to hell. And that doctrine sucks. It's not biblical. We won't get into all the reasons why. If you have questions about that, we'll talk about it later. But sometimes what we do is, 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 is people talk in theology that the only other variation on this theology is Arminianism. And Arminianism says this, that you can lose your salvation, right? You, that you believe on Jesus Christ, that we all have a free will, okay? So yes, that's the opposite of Calvinism. We have a free will, and we get to decide whether or not we're going to follow Jesus Christ in faith. And when, we ha- and when we have faith, we have access to his grace. But yet, Arminianism says something else. It says that as we proceed in life, if we somehow fall out of faith, then we lose our salvation. That's what that doctrine is. We are not Calvinists. We are not Arminian, uh, Arminians. Okay? We're, we are neither. We believe that when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're saved and you're sealed until the day of redemption. Amen. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Ephesians uh, chapter 4, verse 30 says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed until the day of redemption. And this first verse says two really important things. Okay, Are you, you, is the verse up there? Okay, good, good. It's up there. Okay, everything is here. You're the man, you're the man. I forgot that that slide was there. Gabe? Keep it up, brother. Gabe is in training. Well done. Okay, Ephesians chapter 4, four verse 30 says two important things. The first part of the verse commands us not to grieve the spirit. And the context is sin. And so what this is saying, that you have the ability to sin and still be saved. You're going to sin. You're going to mess up. And you shouldn't do it because what does it do? It grieves the spirit. It doesn't say don't sin because you're in danger of losing your salvation. It doesn't say that if you slip up that you're going to lose the justification that Christ gave you, that acceptance. You're going to lose that. A lot of people today who are Arminians, listen, Arminians can be Methodists. They can be Lutherans. And a lot of times they're Charismatics. Okay? A lot of people in charismatic circles believe that you can lose your salvation and that if you sin, that you can fall out of salvation. Now, here's the trick to that. I didn't earn my salvation in the first place. And so if it was a matter of me keeping my salvation through being a good person, I'm going to screw that up. And what, what, at what point do you fall out of salvation? Like, is it certain types of sins? that make you lose your salvation? Like if I lie, am I going to lose my salvation or do I have to fornicate? The scripture doesn't make that clear, does it? See, there's a, there's a serious problem with that way of thinking. See, here it says that when you sin, you shouldn't sin because it grieves the spirit. It doesn't say you shouldn't sin because you're going to lose your salvation. So that's logic point number one. The second point is in relation to this sin, Paul tells us that we shouldn't, not because we'll lose our salvation, but because it grieves the Spirit, and the Spirit's primary job is to seal us until the day of redemption. And that word seal means to keep. It's very similar to the word saved in terms of it keeps us safe until the day that Christ comes to redeem us. Now that day of redemption is a very specific day. That's the day in which Christ will come back in the clouds that we sang about this morning, didn't we, Uriah? We sang about this. Okay, the, 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 the sky, the clouds will roll back and Jesus Christ will present himself and he will deliver us from the wrath that's to come. Amen. It's a very simple, very simple thing that we complicate. 
mainly because we don't see the Bible from a dispensational perspective. We see it from a covenant theology, and it screws up, it screws up the way we see the Bible. But he promises here to keep us safe until he comes to redeem us. That day of redemption is the rapture. And that is the day in which all believers will be delivered from this earth. Okay, so key point number two. This is the next thing we're going to look at. Judgment and wrath in Scripture is always reserved for the wicked, not the just. Over and over and over again. And God has designed our salvation to save us from the wrath through Him. Now, we can see this all throughout the Bible. Okay? Uh, Noah and the ark. You guys know this story? You learned it when you were little kids, maybe. Noah and the ark. Okay? Noah builds the ark. And who gets on the ark? Who is it? Noah and his family. Why do they get to go on the ark? Grace. Because of grace and because of faith. Right? So because of Noah's belief, he builds a boat, okay, that's going to house him and his family to deliver them from what? The day of wrath, where God judges the whole world. He preserves those of faith. He preserves those of his grace. And he preserves those who are justified. We can see this again in the Passover, can't we? Right? In the Passover, the same thing happens. God uh, shows the nation of Israel that if they have faith enough to put the blood around the, the doorway, that he will deliver them from the wrath that's coming. And so they have faith in him, and he delivers them. And they don't endure his wrath. We can see this over and over again. We see it in Nineveh, in the, in the story of, of Jonah, and, and de- telling the Ninevites, look, in 40 days, you're going to be destroyed. Wrath. Wrath is coming. Did they endure that wrath in, jo- in the story of Jonah? No, they were delivered. Why? Because they were justified. Because of faith. They repented of their sin. And it wasn't until that faith generation passed away, if you read the next book, Nahum, God's wrath does come. And he destroys Nineveh. But it isn't, check it out, listen, it doesn't happen in the lifetime of those of faith. You know why? Because he doesn't make people of faith, those who are justified, endure his wrath. This is principled for us over and over and over again in Scripture, and yet so many people are blind to it. Romans chapter 5, verse 10 says, For if, when we were enemies, remember, we were enemies, (coughs) we were reconciled to God by the death of his son much more being reconciled we shall be saved by his life and so when we were enemies of God we were susceptible to suffering but when we were reconciled to God we were no longer his enemies his his faith salvation keeps us and gives us life We are more than simply reconciled to God. We are saved. We are kept safe in his arms. We are under the shadow of his wing. And in particular, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, we see it's made clear that we are saved until the day of redemption or the day he claims us. So the question becomes, at what point does he deliver us from that wrath? Well, we don't know when that day is coming. We don't know. Look at uh, uh, 1 Thessalonians 4.15. Let's talk about this deliverance a little bit. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the day of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. So let me explain that to you real quick. Those people who are saved, 
and have already died, where are they? To be absent from the body is to be... Okay. So the people that die saved, they're present with Jesus Christ even now, right? But there will be a, a people that are still alive when Christ returns. They, they, will, they will be alive. They will be present, and they will remain until the coming of the Lord. And for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Okay, meaning that when the rapture comes, those bodies of the old saints will be lifted up, and they'll be reunited with, with their souls in heaven. Okay? Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now, what is this? Verse 18 is the focus here. Verse 18 says what? Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Why are these words a comfort? Why is Jesus Christ coming back a comfort? Why is it important that we find comfort in that? Because what's the other option? Wrath. It's only comforting because we know what comes on the other side of that is wrath. Isn't logic just a great thing? Isn't it great? So Christ is going to come down in the clouds and call his people up to meet him. This is not the same as the day of wrath. See, what we run into here is a doctrine of the post-tribulation rapture. So go there. Okay? This doctrine is what a lot of covenant theology people, this is a lot, this is reformed theology. We won't get into all this. People who are usually Calvinists uh, usually believe in what's called a post-tribulation rapture, which holds that Christians will suffer through the reign of the Antichrist during the tribulation and will be delivered, uh, will not be delivered until the very end of the tribulation. In other words, they believe that Christians will endure this wrath and this time of, of great suffering and that they won't be delivered until the very end. Now let me explain to you, based on what we've read so far, we already know that that, that's, that seems absurd, doesn't it? And here's the other thing about that. Back to the logic thing. What good is a post-tribulation rapture if a, if a millennial reign on earth follows it immediately? Like, why would they be raptured out only to immediately be on earth for the millennial reign? It's just, there's, there's a lack of logic in terms of, of the way that we see the chronology here. We are not called to endure wrath. So, Thessalonians is a, uh, uh, chapter 4, verse 15 is a comfort um, and we're supposed to comfort one another with that idea that God is going to keep us from the wrath that's coming. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9 says, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Now that word delivered, what is that? Is that present tense? Oh, it's past tense. He has delivered us. He has delivered us. And that past tense deliverance is securing us in the now. Does that make sense to you? So the past deliverance has got me secure and justified now within the context of Thessalonians. So then, then does that deliverance work perpetually? Of course it does. Of course it does. 
Deliverance is, is, is and that word delivered is crucial to us. It's delivered us in the past from what's coming. 1 Thessalonians 5.8, But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed unto, uh, unto us to wrath, but, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or we sleep, we should live together with him. I, okay, we got a little bit of time. Listen, the hope of salvation. Why do we need hope in salvation? Because hope, listen, hope is an interesting thing. Faith is about, is about hope in the evidence that we have, right? We, we recognize that from Hebrews, right? Hope is, is something that is a state of being that informs how we see the future, isn't it? The hope of salvation is the idea. Like, what good is the hope of salvation if you believe that tomorrow you could potentially lose it? Right? And that hope of salvation is important because a day of wrath is, a, is coming and he's not appointed us for that. So why, why are we talking about this? Why have I camped out here? Well, first of all, heresy is so prevalent in the world today. And so many Christians have been misled. And I have a great desire that you guys be teachers of truth. Amen. And that even if some of this was over your head today, and, and maybe you weren't ready for all of it, that you would hold on to some of it because these questions are going to come up. And you're going to run into these conversations. And you need to be prepared to give an answer for those people who believe false truths. You need to know this. And, and, and I want you to know. But key point number three, this is, the, this is the thing that I want you to understand. Our hope is our salvation. And if we don't have that hope, what good is any of this? Our hope is our salvation, and our salvation is perpetual. It covers us now and in the future. Amen. See, the thing about a home security system is that they're intended to prevent or protect a hypothetical conflict, right? Like the thing about a security system is that it brings us comfort against our imaginations or the things that we expect could happen. Things that aren't guaranteed to happen, the things that might happen. And so we get a home security system to make us feel good just in case something does happen. But listen to me. The security that we have here is different than that. You know why? Because we know that there's a day coming. We know that there is a day that's coming, and we've, we've got it written down. It's been told to us there's a day of wrath that's coming. And it's sure. And so having security that you don't have to endure that is crucial to our life and the way that we move forward. If, listen, let me explain something to you. I've, I've had a lot of charismatic friends in my life. Uh, uh, people who uh, fall into that Arminian camp where they believe that they could lose their salvation. And guess what their faith looks like? I've watched it over, over decades even. I'm getting to be an older guy. Okay? And I've seen my friends go through this. And what happens is, is they're really excited about God because faith is experiential, right? And so they're really excited and they feel good about God and they're moving forward, but then all of a sudden they fall into sin. And they don't know where they stand with God anymore. They're, they're suddenly in the dark. Am I still justified in His sight? 
Or was that sin so grievous that God has cast me aside? And so what happens is they fall into a pit of depression, and they fall into a pit of sin, and they live for a season in sin until they get saved again, until they fall back into a place of faith. And their lives look like this roller coaster ride, like this, because they don't have any security. And what I want you guys to understand is that we are secure in Jesus Christ, and we need not fear. And that we, we have, we've been accepted in him. And that we have access to him. And that he stands with us in tribulation. And that he delivers us from the wrath that's coming. And he's got us and we're his children. And he owns us and he's keeping us. He's keeping us safe. And that one day he's coming for us. And it's that hope that bolsters our faith. It's that hope that keeps us from stumbling. It's that security that makes us strong. Yeah? A man whose house is secure is a man who can stand strong. That's not a plug for ADT. That's a plug for Jesus Christ. But you can talk to, you can talk to Eric after service if, if you need to. But listen to me. If you need security in Jesus Christ, you need to come and talk to me. If you don't know if you're secure, if you don't know if you've been justified, if you don't know that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior and that he's kept you and he's keeping you. After this service, you need to come and talk to me. Because we need to deal with that. Those of you who are saved, you need to stand sure on the foundation of the fact that Jesus Christ has you and is keeping you. Let's pray. Let's pray to him now. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for the opportunity to study your word. Thank you for the opportunity to teach your word. Lord, I pray that, um, that all of us will have learned something today. And that uh, God, uh, through what we've learned we would be able to stand strong and that we would be mature in our faith and that we would know the value of our justification. It's not just as if we sin, but God, our justification